6, beginning in verse 51. This is the last verse that we considered last Lord's Day in the morning sermon, and we'll be reading all the way to verse 69 in John chapter 6, verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. These were Jesus' words after the multiplication of bread in the following day. In verse 52, The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he, shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of God, the Son of God. Of the living God. Thus far in God's holy and precious word. And let us then. We have read from God's word in John chapter 6. Um, you'll remember last Lord's Day. We focused on verse 35. Today we want to vo- focus on verse 54. Where Jesus says. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
This whole sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ has to do with the reality of the hunger of the human heart. And the truth that this hunger will only be satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Humanity hungers. You'll remember that as we ended the sermon last Lord's Day, we ended with this reality, the reality of hunger, and how in many ways you could say this is a summary of humanity, who you and I are. We are people who hunger. And hunger in itself is, is not, of course, wrong. It is a limitation. The fact we hunger, it means we need And if we go hungry for too long for food, or we go thirsty for too long for water, we can even die. So yes, it is a limitation. It is part of the human frame. But the greatest problem of all is that we, in our nature, do not even know what to hunger for in the right way. Or we have the wrong perception of hunger. We hunger for what God's Word tells us we hunger, but we rebel, as it were, against that reality, and we hunger for other things, hoping that it will satiate that original hunger, but it never does. And two illustrations to show this reality of how hungers can differ, and that even shows who you will be and your attitude and your frame. Um, There's one story that is told of one Duke of Condé who had reached a level of poverty that was so significant that a Lord of Italy, um, who out of compassion, wished him to take better care of himself. To which the Duke answered, Sir, be not troubled, and think not that I am ill provided of conveniences, for I send a messenger before me who makes ready my lodging and takes care that I be royally entertained. And the nobleman asked him who who this messenger was, because he knew he was a poor man by now. And he replied, The knowledge of myself and the thoughts of what I deserve for my sins, which is eternal torments. And when with this knowledge I arrive at my lodging, How unprovided soever I find it, methinks it is better than I deserve. And as the sense of sin which merits hell sweetens present difficulties, so do the hopes of the heavenly kingdom. So this man was satisfied. He had a hunger, but it was met in Christ. So even though he was poor, he felt he was rich. See the difference? Now, now this other illustration will, will show the contrast. There's another man who was very rich. This, rich. this man was very rich. He was very wealthy. He had several homes. They were all beautiful and very well furnished. And he used to move from one home to the next from time to time. And a friend one day came to him and said... Why do you trouble your family and go through this process of moving from one home to another all the time? You seem to never end. And he replied, I do this in order to find contentment in some of them. 
But his friend, knowing his temper, told him, My friend, if you will find contentment in any of these homes, you must leave yourself behind first. And you see the difference between the two men. One had a hunger, and it was satisfied in his God through his Savior, the Lord Jesus. And he was truly a satisfied man. The other man had a hunger as well. But it was misplaced. It was misguided. It made him think that the next home will fulfill that hunger. And it it didn't. So he had a solution. Well, maybe it's the next home. And so since he had many to go through, it took him a long while before he realized none of them did the trick. Hunger is in many ways the one word that summarizes every human being. And the problem is not that the human heart doesn't know that it hungers after something. Like I said, it is the perception of this hunger. This is where we go wrong. And so, just like if, if you do hunger for, um, for, if you hunger, you will then desire food. And if you thirst, you will desire water. So, if, if men or women hunger for recognition, well, then they will be driven after popularity and they'll do everything they can to be the popular man or the popular woman because they're hungering for that recognition. If the hunger is for love, well, it will drive you to find it in relationships. If you hunger for money, it will drive you to become a workaholic or or even a thief. Um, if, if you hunger for beauty, it can lead you to discontentment and jealousy. What hunger seeks is to be satisfied. We have a hunger. Now, this is where God's Word is so precious and helpful. The Lord Jesus meets these people who are seeking after Him. He knows they have a hunger, and it's a misplaced hunger. And Jesus even begins this whole conversation revealing to them, and so revealing to you and me, what our hunger should actually be. If, if we go back to the beginning of the conversation, remember the Lord Jesus had even walked on water, went on the other side of, of Galilee, and, and those people went and met with Him. And in verse 26, the Lord Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me. See, they're hungering. They're, they're seeking after something. And they're even seeking it in Jesus. And, and this is what's scary. It shows that you can even seek it in Jesus, but in a wrong way, that hunger will not be satiated. This is why you have many people who are religious and who are still hungry. Because they might use the name of Christ, but they have not really been fed in Christ so look, they're seeking Christ. Jesus sees you seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat and the lo- eat of the loaves and were filled. So you're, you're, you're wanting more bread. You're wanting something material. You're wanting to satiate a physical hunger, but that is not going to satiate your spiritual thirst. In verse 27, he says, Labor not for that meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto eternal life. This phrase, meat that perishes, becomes the title of what they're seeking after. They Remember it said that they were even wanting to crown Him as King after that miracle. They were so excited. They thought, indeed, 
You are the Messiah. We want you as our king. Well, that was their thirst. They were thirsty for a king. They were thirsty for independence, for freedom, for, for justice. They wanted the joy of the old days in which David sat on the king and, and they didn't have to pay tribute to Rome. Imagine how hard it is for a nation if they have to pay taxes to a whole other nation. It is hard enough when we pay taxes to our nation and we feel that that money is not being used wisely. Imagine what it would mean for a nation to send all our money to a foreign king. So we understand their thirst. We understand their hunger. They, they want the control of their nation. They desire the peace of their kingdom. And Jesus is saying that that is a misplaced hunger. That is the meat that perishes. What this means is this. If they were to have a king of Israel, and they were to have independence from Rome, and if it meant that all of their shekels went to that very king who was from the line of David, and every Roman soldier was exited from Israel, they would die. They would still get to their 79 years of age and die. They would get to their 99 years of age and die. Young people would have a a chariot accident and die. There would be diseases and would kill them. And without Rome being their empire and not having Christ as their Lord and Savior, they would be condemned forever. So that however many years they could have of independence would mean absolutely nothing. It's the meat that perishes. And this is a sad thing. People are hungry, but they don't even know what they're hungry for. And we singled out last Lord's Day, and I only pointed them out. In today's sermon, we're going to spend time in these three points because these are the three things that you and I hunger for and should find our satiation, our satisfaction in Christ. Now see, this is the key thing. You might not even know you hunger for these things, but God's Word says that this is what your hunger is for. And when you identify it, Christ is the one that feeds it, you are well. That's what salvation is. And the rest of the world who does not look to Jesus, they are going and crisscrossing in every direction, fulfilling the hungers they perceive they have, and they are not satisfied. Hence the sadness and the depression of the lost world. How can our hunger be satisfied? Well, the first thing is we need to identify what our true hunger is for. We need to single it out. Last Lord's Day, we said cleansing, love, and hope. Um, We will speak of forgiveness for cleansing today. We will keep the word love. And for hope, we will speak of eternity. That's why we did speak of hope. I did mention that hope meant the hope of eternal life. Today we'll call it exactly that, the satisfaction of eternity. Well, first the satisfaction of forgiveness. And and I don't put them in these orders. I, I think it's in this order. I, it's important for us to realize as you if, as you look at these in a philosophical way, it is not that there's an order. They all come together. The moment you are forgiven, it is an act of love and you have eternal life. It is not in a few minutes eternal life will come. 
It is there to begin with. And to have eternal life and to have forgiveness is obviously God's love. And why would anyone want forgiveness and love but limited and to end in five days and not have eternally? See, these, these are a package. They all come together. And see, this is also part of the problem. People who have a lot of guilt, they want the forgiveness, but they don't realize that it's in the love of Christ. And they're not even thinking of eternity. There's some people who want forgiveness and who don't even believe there's eternal life. See how confusing people are, how confused people are. So, so I'm not putting this in an order, but I do believe that in terms of an experience, this is a good order for us to think of it all, to think of these blessings, to think of these truths that all can be met in Christ. So first, the satisfaction of forgiveness. This is a very great hunger, for it relates to our greatest loss. When Adam sinned, remember God said, when Adam sinned, that there would be death. And remember the truth that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And if we sin against a holy God, it means that every single one of us are in urgent need of forgiveness. See, this is in many ways the number one hunger people avoid thinking they need. Some have no clue that they really need this. It, it is, their minds are very glossed over. They know there's a sense of need. They know they feel a guilt in many ways, it is the one admission that is most humbling. If you say you need forgiveness, you are confessing. You're a sinner. We, we just read the law. To say that I need forgiveness for murder, it means I may have blood in my hands or in my heart. And Jesus said that if I hate anyone, it is the same as breaking that command. If you have hated anyone, you need the cleansing of that sin. If you have lied, you need the cleansing of that sin. If you have lusted in your heart or committed adultery in the flesh, you need forgiveness for that sin. And that's the sad thing. People seek that hunger to be fulfilled in so many Ways that only make them sin more. I have a little summary in terms of the words. I won't go into them because it can, it's a long portion, maybe in a future sermon. But there are people who seek to satisfy that urge for forgiveness through moralism, religious moralism. Let me just do things better. I'll just reform my ways and maybe this guilt will go. Or through secular moralism. There, there are many people who look at the church and God and say, I don't need that. But they also want to be a good person in society, but in a secular way. And they're hoping that they'll feel better about it. And there are those who actually drown that sense of guilt with more sin. They, they are so indifferent to the law of God that they want to promote the law of sin, and they're hoping that that way they will feel better about it. If, if you normalize it, if you legalize a sin, well, definitely I'll feel better if the whole world looks at a sin and thinks it's okay. The celebration of sin. 
But you see, in all these ways, we're only sinning more. And, and the more you think of it, even persecution is one of the ways that the, that the unbeliever finds to have his guilt taken away. If I get rid of those people who make me feel guilty, maybe I'll feel better. Persecution throughout the history of the world of God's people is a way by which the world seeks to satisfy their hunger for forgiveness. And the sad news is this, it never works. It never cleanses. It never pardons. Of course, you're just sinning more. But now, three things that happen to the soul with forgiveness. If, if you do what Jesus is do, saying in chapter 6 again, Jesus said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth in me shall never thirst. How can your hunger and your thirst for forgiveness be um, um, satisfied? It's through Jesus. And, and how, how? Why? Why? Well, the first thing is that forgiveness cleanses the pollution of sin. And remember, many times we have spoken of the problem of sin. It's always twofold. It's not just the sins that we commit. It is the reality that we are sinners. So we, we, we don't sin because we learn from out there and so we imitate. We sin because we have a heart by nature that is under the oppression of sin. We call it the old man. That's how we're born into the world. The old man in God's Word is like a master who will drive you to sin. And if you don't sin, you will suffer. And it will whip you and it will make you do what it commands. When you're saved, the Bible says the old man is crucified, dead and buried. Then you would say, well, why do we still sin as, as Christians? Well, it's a lesser power. It's called indwelling sin. See, sin is so pervasive that even the new believer, even the true believer, will have something of its remaining power. It's called remaining sin. It's called the flesh by Paul and some places. It's called indwelling sin. The good news is that indwelling sin does not have the power of the old man. You do not need to obey its every whims. The Bible even says you can subdue it. The Bible even says you can mortify it by the power of the Spirit. That's how weak indwelling sin is compared to the old man. And when you look to Christ, the forgiveness He gives is that He cleanses that fountain of sin. There is no longer a master over you to make you sin. That's why a Christian has no excuse to sin. Because he's free to obey the Lord Jesus. And then, secondly... We have the cleansing of the sins we commit. We don't just have the corruption forgiven. We have every single sin. Boys and girls, this is where it's easier for you and me to understand sin. This is the lie I told. This is the lust I had. This is the thing I stole. This is the hatred that I had in my heart. All of those sins, the Bible calls it the handwriting of our sins. When you believe in Jesus, they were placed on Jesus past, present, and even future. And he who knew no sin, the Lord Jesus, is said to have become sin for us so that you who believe in Christ, who have eaten of Christ, who have come to Christ, will be forgiven. 
And then there's a third blessing. There's a third blessing. And, and the sad thing is I remember living many years in Christianity. I think I was even past college. Maybe four years after college is when I heard this one blessing that I hadn't even been taught. It's the reality that forgiveness is connected to righteousness. They are like inseparable sisters under, under the word justification. Because forgiveness is not a doctrine on its own. It is a doctrine under justification. When, when God justifies you, when He justifies the sinner, He does two things. He forgives you. He cleanses that fountain of sin and He cleanses every sin you've ever committed. And He does that second blessing. He imputes to your account the very righteousness of God. Let me, let me read it in Romans 3 and verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, look, which is by faith. It's not speaking just of the righteousness of God out there, of Him. Yes, it is His, but He gives it to you when you believe. It is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. He clothes you with His righteousness. He puts it on you like a breastplate. That's why in Ephesians it's called the breastplate of righteousness. I confess I, I can't even understand the depths of what this means. That not only are you inside cleansed of all your sins in the sight of God, but also when He sees you, He sees you through Christ, and He sees the very righteousness of Jesus clothing you. So, you see how it satisfies. There's no more hunger. You have everything you need. You have the cleansing of that corruption. You have the cleansing of all my sins from one to infinite. All the sins I've committed since I was born. And I have the righteousness of Jesus. Beloved, it will be satisfied if you come to Jesus. Even if you're a believer and you committed a sin and you're still not repenting and asking forgiveness, there's a hunger. You're hungering for forgiveness. Go to Jesus and you will experience that forgiveness. Now, secondly, the satisfaction of love. This, perhaps, is the world's hunger that does not need to be so well proven. Because you hear it even from people saying, I want to be loved. I don't feel loved. They cry because of lack of love. The hunger for forgiveness may be denied, but the hunger for love is usually admitted. But again, it is not pursued in the right way. This, this is where you have the sad window into all idolatries. Here's a blank, and fill in what you love, and it is your idol. And the world goes after it bows before it, pays the dues. See, you can be seeking to fulfill this love ultimately in people, and that is wrong. We're not, we are supposed to love our neighbor, but, but if you're depending on that love of your neighbor, and that is what you live for, and that is what you need, and that is what you want, it is an idolatry. And it will not fulfill the love that you seek. Seeking it ultimately in profit, this, this is such a big way in which people are seeking to fulfill their desire for love, thinking that money, thinking that wealth, thinking that finances, that, that other home that you might move to will probably fill in that gap. No, it will not. Because a building cannot hug you 
Wealth cannot counsel you. Nothing financial is really emotional at all. Money is like a bird. It has wings and it soon flies away. It looks back at you saying, you loved me too late. I'm gone. Some seek to fulfill their quest for love in position. They want power. They want influence. They want that promotion. If only I get that promotion. Now, you, Maybe you have heard it said this way. The phrase would be like this. If only I had blank, I would be happy. And whatever you put into that blank is the idol that you serve. And of course, if it is Christ, then it's not an idol. It is the true God. And you will be satisfied with love. And so, none of those ways provide love, but then let's come to Christ like we did with forgiveness. Is there one who loves a soul more? Greater love has none than this, Jesus said. No friend than this. That he give his life for his friend. Take the most well-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, love is giving. And Christ loves the most because he gave everything. Look at the passage we are speaking of, beloved. And Christ could be very succinct. And he could say, you all are not deserving of my presence. I will give you one verse. But no, beloved, look at what he does. Jesus says, I say unto you, verse 53, except ye eat of of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then he he shows how his flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. This is what will satisfy you. Me and my person, my work. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. In verse 35, he continues the promise that there will be living by him. In verse 58, he says... This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And even as they were so lost with the thought, eating flesh, eating blood, drinking, we don't understand this. Jesus made it very clear that his words were spirit and they were life. Jesus said it. This is clear. The reason people didn't understand it is because of how simple it is. Jesus is saying, I'm speaking spiritually here. And he even began by saying that in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me will never hunger. And he that believes will never thirst. He wasn't talking about putting his blood in a cup and drinking. It was nothing physical in that sense. But it was physical. And that it would be his very blood that would be shed. And his very body that would be broken. See, yes, there was a physical reality. And this is, this is to show the reality of the giving. He was really giving everything. 
He gave up heaven to come to this earth and to live the perfect life He had to live with temptations and with afflictions and with hunger and with thirst. And you'll remember how Adam was in a paradise when when he and his wife were tempted to eat of that fruit. They had all the other fruits, but they failed the test because they were hungry. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, hungry and thirsty. There was a rock Satan said to turn it into stone to prove that he was a son of God or to tempt him to think God didn't care for him. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The first Adam fell because in his hunger, he didn't perceive it correctly and fulfilled it with the wrong thing, a fruit. Jesus was hungry in the desert, but he perceived that hunger. It wasn't for a rock that could become a bread. It wasn't for the bread that perishes. It was for God. Jesus hungered for God, and so he didn't fall. And remember, there's that reality that that verse that Jesus used came from Deuteronomy in the days that manna was coming from heaven, and it was a verse that would remind his own soul, God does love me. He provided that bickering people, that bad people, they were complaining all the time, and he gave them manna. He, he loved them. I have come down from heaven. I am the true bread of heaven. I am suffering right now. I am thirsty and I am hungry, but I know God loves me. I don't need to prove it. So, beloved Jesus, if you seek love in Jesus, you will have that thirst for love quenched. Nothing in this world will have its glamour any longer because you will have found the love of your soul. And the third point is the satisfaction for eternity. And we will hope to look at this very point as we observe the Lord's Supper, the blessed reality that this forgiveness and this love, that in everything else never satiates, but in Christ it does, it lasts forever. Eternity is the, is the clincher. It is the foundation. That these are not just words. It's not just temporary forgiveness and a temporary love, but eternally. And we hope to see this shortly. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, may each and every one of us confess here today our great hunger for forgiveness and for love, to be forgiven by Thee and to be loved by Thee. And Lord, what a blessing to find that this is the very reason Christ came to the world, to give Himself as a ransom for many. He is the one who died to forgive sinners. And He did so because He loved so. And so we pray, Lord, help us to realize our need for forgiveness and our need for love, and that can only be met in Christ, and this forever. Lord, bless us as we focus now upon the Lord's Supper and as we come and partake. We pray, Lord, that Thou would guide our hearts and be glorified in our doing so. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.